If you would please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29. And we're going to be looking at the first 30 verses. This is God's word. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob, answered, or Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, The sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but, Jacob, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, 
And then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I mean, it's just one story after another of people misbehaving, doing the wrong thing, messing up. Jacob, we get a little more insight into what he's like in this story. For one thing, he is no wimpy dude. When you get the comparison between Esau, the outdoorsman, who's always the hunter and covered with hair, and Jacob, who's the stay-at-home mama's boy, cooking and that kind of thing, you kind of get the impression that maybe Jacob's just, you know, kind of a sissy. Well, in this story, we get another little perspective. Because when he shows up at this well... There's a huge stone on top of the well that it takes a number of people to move. That's why they haven't moved it yet. They wait until all the flocks come in, and then there's plenty of hands on deck to move this big stone off the top of the well. Well, When Jacob finds out that this is his relative who's coming, he wants to have some conversation with her, And so he says, hey, why don't we go ahead and water the sheep now? And they're like, no, no, no. We wait until all the flocks come. When she gets a little closer, he decides, it's time to water the flocks. And he moves the stone. Apparently, the boy had some muscles. That's an old Popeye. You don't even have a clue. The the staff knows who Popeye is. I think everybody else is like, what is he talking about? Popeye's chicken? Anyway. It was a cartoon in the previous millennia that uh, you, you don't need to worry about. In this intro to what's going to be a lot more drama we see that there are some things that are cultural and there are some things that are character. I love the fact that he went ahead and moved that stone. Not just because it means that he had some physical strength, but because it means that he was willing, when necessary, without violating any law, but definitely violating a tradition, He was ready to do what he needed to do in order to accomplish what he was trying to accomplish. And there are times when we need to be willing to do that. Not sinning against God to get our own way, but being willing to do things in the way that they're not usually done. When my wife and I were establishing the ranch and we met with three uh, professors from the University of Tennessee Education Department to cast our vision as far as how we wanted the school to operate, they said, it can't be done. 
It's just, you know, it, you can't do it that way. And we said, why not? And they said, well, it's, it would be too staff intensive and therefore too expensive and therefore you can't do it. And we said, but what about as far as the potential impact on the students? Oh, well, if anybody could do a school like that, that would be ideal. We'd all love to do it like that. Individualized education, sure. That would be ideal, especially for the type of students you're talking about. But it's just not possible. And we said, well, as long as you think it's ideal, we're reassured because we believe it's what God has told us he wants us to do. And guess what? It's what we do. For 30 years, it's what we do. How is it possible? Other people haven't been able to do that. Well, God can make it happen. And if God tells you to do something, you can do it. In order for Peter to walk on water in the New Testament, he only needed one word from the Lord, and that word was come. That's all Jesus said to him. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water. If you and I are always bound by how it's been done before and what everybody else thinks is possible, we're going to miss out on a whole lot that God wants us to do. God brought Moses to the Red Sea and said, you're going to the other side. How's that possible? With God, all things are possible. So, was it a miracle that he moved the stone? No, but it took a lot of effort, and it took determination, and it took his willingness to break tradition. Then, having moved the stone, he starts to cry. I think I hurt myself. No, that's not what happened. He went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. It's kind of a mixed message, isn't it? Manly man. <laughs> These were tears of joy. This was great relief. One of the problems that many of us in this country have is not knowing how to express emotion. Okay? We are bound up inside. It is especially true of those of us with British ancestry. John Milton, the author of Paradise Lost, suggested that the reason that the British speak the way that they do is because the weather over there is so abominable. He said, the people who live down on the Mediterranean move their lips when they speak, but the Brits, you know, they just sort of keep the mouth tight. Famous British stiff upper lip, which usually is a reference to courage and determination, stoicism, that sort of thing. But um, it's according to John Milton because their lips are actually frozen in place by the abominable weather. It's not just their lips. To a great extent, I've got generations of ancestry that just basically teaches us to behave. 
when you are in church, you do not raise your hands. That would look plebeian. You keep your hands down at your side. Try not to do anything that might be a distraction and let other people know that you are in the room. You do not make a sound. You just sit there. Someone suggested that a Presbyterian church had installed motion detectors on their lights, and the lights kept going out during the service. (laughs) This guy knew that you can kiss someone without it being essentially sexual. In the New Testament, we are repeatedly encouraged to greet one another with a holy kiss. American churches don't know how to do that. When I travel elsewhere in the world, they love hugging and kissing, and we're very happy to see one another. So glad you're here. I heard about your terrible accident and that you almost died, but now I see that you're back, and I want you to know that that excites me tremendously. You may not be able to tell that I'm excited, but I am inside. I just don't show it on the outside because that is the way I've been trained. He kissed and he wept aloud. Is that okay for a man to do that? For a man to cry in public? I don't know that that's okay. Let me think if I can think of any other biblical characters who cried in front of other people. How about Jesus? Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And when the people saw it, they said, what's wrong with him? No, they said, look at how he loved him. One of the reasons that we are so messed up as a culture is because we have been taught generation after generation not to express emotion. Everything becomes sexual. Holding hands, kissing, hugging, it's all sexual. Not according to scripture, not according to world history, not according to healthy dynamics, but in our culture because there's so much demonic perversion of sex, People don't feel free to express physical affection without it being interpreted in that way. That's sad. That's really sad. For all of his faults, Jacob knew how to kiss a relative, a cousin. Now, he does fall in love with her. That's true. I'll give you that. But he didn't fall in love with Laban, and Laban kissed him too. You understand? I've told you before about being in Ukraine and those guys who, I mean, God bless them, they were wonderful brothers in Christ, but they didn't bathe very much. And I don't think they knew what deodorant was, and if they did know what deodorant was, they certainly couldn't afford to buy it. And they wore the same clothes day after day, and they still wanted to give me hugs and kisses. I didn't shave very much either, and I didn't have a beard back then, so I got these scratchy faces on B.O. bodies giving me hugs and kisses. Was that sexual? No. 
It was beautiful love from brothers in Christ who wanted to thank me for my ministry in Ukraine. In Guatemala, they've had more experience dealing with Americans. They simply shook hands. But I want you to understand something. One reason why people in our culture fall prey to sexual temptation is because we make everything sexual and there's no other opportunity for physical affection. And that's bad. That's just bad. Hugs ought to be something that we do in a celebratory way. And boy, for some of us, that's a challenge. I've had to work to get over it. I even went through a phase where some of the brethren tried to kiss one another. And I remember probably 15 years ago, Rick Elstein, my dear Messianic Jew from Long Island, spending time in our home. And I, he and his wife were about to leave, and I went to give him a kiss. And I, I ended up kissing him on the neck, which he, he didn't know exactly what we were doing there. It was awkward, unforgettably awkward. <laughs> but work at being able to give and receive affection in a non-sexual way. You understand? We would do well. We, we've, you know, well, can we just do side hugs? Yeah, if that's what it takes. But I'm telling you, I remember when one of our mentors' mother was here as a mentor. And the first time that she came up, she'd heard me speak, and, uh, but she hadn't met me really before, but she knew who I was. And she came over and she just hugged me. And I thought, ha, someone who knows how to hug. Besides my wife, I mean, my wife knows how to hug. But if you see my sons, they hug me and kiss me. Why? Because they grew up learning that physical affection doesn't have to be sexual. And that's good. I hope your kids will grow up learning that. Now, Rachel goes back, she tells her dad, and he comes to meet um, Jacob, and he says, you know, stay with, stay with me. So Jacob stays a month. And after a month of his being in the home, Laban says, you shouldn't have to work for me for free. What does that tell you about what Jacob was doing during that month? He was working. Just like he had moved that stone by himself, he spent a month working for free because he was living in Laban's house. Would that be characteristic of you? If you go somewhere, if you live somewhere, do you look for what you can do to help? Do you ask, is there anything else? Because that's what Jacob was doing, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. He was looking for what he could do to help, and he was working. 
And after a month of his working without any wages or negotiation of wages or questions about wages, Laban said, hey man, I ought to be paying you something. Just tell me what your wages should be. Jacob said, I want to marry your daughter. I want to marry Rachel. Now, Rachel was named you, which is like a, a lamb. Leah, her older sister, was named cow. Those are just two animals that uh, shepherds keep, okay? But it wasn't just their names. Some people would rather have a cow than a you. It was the fact that Rachel was really good looking. Both in form and in face. She was a looker. And she had nice eyes. Okay? Leah had weak eyes and apparently was not that great to look at either. Pastor Wood, people can't help things like that. I know. It's just reality. But he fell for the younger daughter. Is, is that a problem? He was the younger son. Well, Laban says, no problem. You need to uh, work for her for seven years, and then you can marry her. That's the agreement. And at the end of seven years, Jacob comes. He says, I'm ready. I've been, been counting down the days. It's flown by because I know the prize. Laban says, we'll have a wedding. And they have a wedding. And it's a wonderful time. And long after dark, he says, okay, you two lovebirds, you go on back there to that special place we prepared for you. And they do. And the next morning, the light comes up. And it's Leah. Hello. <laughs> Can you believe it? He's in utter shower. What? He goes to see his father-in-law and he says, what have you done to me? I love the way he asks. What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Who's been deceived? The deceiver. Jacob was a deceiver he had totally flat out lied to his dad in order to get the blessing. And now somebody's done it to him and he's saying, Hey, that's not fair. You're not supposed to deceive people. Old expression, whenever you point the finger at someone else, there are some other fingers pointed back at you. Jacob was a deceiver. Now he's been deceived. And it will not be the last time in his life that he gets deceived. So Laban says, well, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. 
So you go ahead and finish your one-week honeymoon with Leah, then I'll give you Rachel. You get two wives out of the deal. Of course, you have to work another seven years to pay it off. All right, so he goes back. He finishes his week with Leah. You got to bet that was a lot of fun. Ha, ha, ha. You knew, didn't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I love you. And then he gets Rachel. So now he's got two wives, and they each have a maidservant. That's going to become important later. And that's where we stop. What do we learn? Well, I hope we learn a number of things, but the main thing that we will see as we look at this story and what follows is that God was sovereignly working even through the misdeeds of others in order to accomplish his purpose. Just as Jacob did that which was evil in order to get the blessing, and yet it was God's intention before he was born that he would be the one to get the blessing. Is God the author of evil? No, but God is the sovereign one who works all things together for the good of those who love him. God is going to use even the deception of Laban in order not only to bless Jacob, but to bless all the generations to come. How's that possible? Well, God willing, we'll see in the days to come. But realize this, in your life and mine, the God who rules the universe is continuing to work all things together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. God is able to take the bad things people do and bring good out of it. Don't ever forget that. The worst, in, worst injustice was the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And apart from that, none of us would be saved. God meant it for good. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. None of us deserved it but you loved us anyway. Thank you for taking scoundrels and losers and people that others wouldn't choose, even people like Leah, people like Laban, people like Jacob, and bring salvation. Thank you, Lord. You are great and greatly to be praised. Help us to trust you. Help us to love you. Help us to serve you well. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.